Rebecca. And Lily. And you're listening to... Just Ghouly Things. Ooh. Hey, Boo Things, and welcome back to Just Ghouly Things, the quarantine spooky story special, episode 66. And we are your bootsyful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hey. Add one more six to that, and we have a very freaky, spooky, kooky, ooky episode. Oh, true. <laughs> So we're not going to call it that episode. Maybe I could. Maybe I could put, like, episode 6-6 six, six, and then, like, parentheses 6 or, you know. <laughs> make it a little spooky be funky. But, uh, like we said, we are your Bootsyful hosts. For those that are new to the podcast, hey, hey, hey. Hey. Uh, I'm Rebecca. I'm Lily. And pretty much what we do for the Quarantine Spooky Story Specials is I read five scary stories that are found online, like actual true encounter stories. Lily reads five true scary encounter stories. We talk about it. You laugh. You cry. You get freaked out. We do all the above. And yeah, that's pretty much how the shows run. So without further ado, Lily, you ready to get started with those stories? Let's do it. All right. This first one is called, A Lot Has Happened Over the Years. I'm going to try to keep this as short as I can while including the important details. I've had many things occur to and around me since I was about eight or nine. That's as far back as I can remember, at least. I'm not religious, though I'm pretty spiritual. I am also pretty logical. I try to debunk things. However, I feel I cannot explain these particular instances. When I was eight or nine, we lived in a small, older house. My dad told me, because I didn't actually recall this that I'd wake him up by standing over him in the middle of the night, just mumbling words and staring at him. I sleepwalked in this house frequently. Sometimes I'd end up in front of my closet mirror mumbling, and he'd come to put me back in bed. Now, this part I do remember. I would wake up in the middle of the night not being able to breathe. I always described it as feeling as though I had, quote, forgotten how to breathe. On another night... um. In the early hours, I woke up to the sound of my Build-A-Bear Dalmatian barking. It had one of those little little, uh, push vocal boxes. And when I got the nerve to see where it was, it was at the foot of my bed on top of my large pile of stuffed animals I slept with. To clarify, I wasn't pushing it. It was the only, and that was the only way to make it bark. Most unnerving thing I ever encountered in that house, and still remember very clearly, I was in my parents' bathroom and went to grab something from the shower. When I turned around, there was a hazy, whitish figure of a little girl. I always described it as seeing myself because she looked like me, but it could just be because she looked my age. I got scared and looked away when I looked back. She was gone. We moved from that house to a newly built one when I was in middle school. And I lived there until I moved out at age 18. When I was in high school, my friend and next-door neighbor committed suicide. A few days after his death, I woke up to my bedroom door being open and, and the hall light on. I got up, went to the hallway where my friend was standing. I gave him a hug, then I went back to bed. It was literally that simple, but it felt so real. I felt closure after that, that he was okay. I'll never forget that. Fast forward to February of this year. Yep, here in 2020. I had two dreams of my friend about a week apart. In both, we made small talk and were happy to see each other. However, he seemed sad. I just got this vibe in both dreams that something was wrong. I was puzzled by it for a few weeks. Then in early March, I got a call from my mom at around 3 a.m. She still lives in the same house. 
telling me that there was a tornado. Long story short, her house was gone. The tornado had ripped it down to the foundation. My mom, her boyfriend, my sister, and their three dogs were all inside. All were okay, except for the sweetest dog in the world, Jack, who unfortunately passed away. R.I.P., buddy. So here's the kicker. My sister actually got thrown from the house 60 to 100 feet and ended up in the neighbor's pool with bigger debris around her that probably protected her a bit from all the other debris. That pool was my friend's old pool. I think I think he was warning me in the dreams, and I think he protected my sister. In my first apartment, I was in the bathroom getting ready for work, and I had the door cracked. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the door open about a foot wider than how I had it. I thought my roommate was home, so I went out to look for her, but she wasn't there. Later on, when I was moving out of that apartment, my boyfriend, now husband, called me up to my room where he was packing up my closets. One of my sweatshirt sleeves was pulled up into the attic all the way to the shoulder. Not sure if it was an animal or what, but it was odd. I asked him a thousand times if he was playing a trick on me, and to this day, he swears it was already like that. In my second apartment, I woke up in the middle of the night to see what looked like a man in a white t-shirt and jeans with a gun to his side, standing in the corner of my room in a shadowy spot. This one scared me quite a bit. And then I lived at my grandparents in Tennessee during my husband's deployment. And one night I, I just happened to wake up and be at the baby mom, baby monitor at around 1 a.m. And it looked like someone had their head leaned, had their head leaned on my sleeping son's head. And a hand sort of loosely laid, possibly slightly caressing him. It was non-threatening and and I have since believed it was my grandmother or one of my great-grandmothers, but I was scared absolutely shitless <laughs> and in hysterics about it when I saw it, to be honest. Um, I have a photo of what I saw on the monitor. There have been other smaller instances. My dad's experienced things at this house where my grandmother lived and died, and my grandmother experienced things long before she died as well. These were just my most memorable and unnerving experiences over the years. Edit. To say that I have posted the section about my friend onto uh, another post on another sub, but felt compelled to write about all my experiences after finding this subreddit, hoping to hear similar stories and theories. The end. Wow. This person's life has been full of paranormal activity. I know, right? How, how like, fascinating. I'm kind of jealous. Me too! But... I'm thinking that the friend is definitely some sort of guardian angel at this point for her and her family. Um, Unfortunately, the dog had to pass away, you know, rest in peace. Uh, But it definitely seems like this this friend is just there and just letting her know that everything, or he know that everything's okay. Um, And also giving her a warning, like the fact that the last two dreams that she had of him were sad. But she was it's not like he directly said it, but she was able to sense it. It was that intuition. It was that gut feeling. I feel like that's way too yeah. coincidental. And especially yeah, for the sister. Yeah, always. Yeah, and the fact that the sister was protected by parts of the debris that were on the friend's property. Mm-hmm. And in the friend's pool. Like, yeah. that was the friend's doing. Definitely. That was a really cool story. But the Build-A-Bear one with the little the little noise thing that when you press its paw, whatever, 
I had, I think I had one Build-A-Bear that had a noise, and it was like my first Build-A-Bear ever, because I was so excited to get a Build-A-Bear, and I wanted the whole works. And I remember immediately after regretting getting that, because I roll around in my sleep a lot, so when I would sleep with the bear, and I would turn around, it would make like the <laughs> noise or whatever. That's it, terrifying. It's literally fucking horrifying. So every other Build-A-Bear I got after that, I refused to put any sort of sound in it. The only sound I will approve of from Build-A-Bear is when people put the uh, put the voice of, like, loved ones on it. Like, ones that have passed yeah. away or, like, people that are, like, overseas. And they give it to their loved ones to, like, with a little message. That makes me cry every time I see those videos. Yeah. Either, or, like, those cards that you can read yourself. Yes. You can record your own message. Yes. Those type of videos or the, the military people coming home, no matter oh my what, God. I will lose my shit. I will lose my shit every single time. It does not matter. Does not matter. Especially when it's like a little kid and saying, like, Daddy, I'm like, stop. I love or a you dog. Too. Oh my god. And they get so excited to see their owner. Or like they oh they don't god. recognize them at first. And then they smell them. And then they're like, oh my god, human. So cute. Mm. Oh god, okay. Don't have me crying in the club. <laughs> Alright, this is my next story. A drive home that changed me. This is the strangest thing to happen to me yet. So October 20, uh, October 28th, October 2018, I was driving home from teaching music lessons one night around 9.45 on the highway. Suddenly, this memory comes to me. Before my family moved to Atlanta, I lived in Kennesaw, Georgia. It's really not too far from the city, but far enough to feel suburban. My neighborhood there was really just in the middle of a giant forest, miles between us and the nearest residential development. I was raised by a single mother. Her work schedule was harsh, so she had arranged since kindergarten a babysitting gig with my neighbor, whose son, Mike, was the same age as me. We basically grew up as brothers, me arriving at his house around 7 a.m., going to school together, and hanging out after school every day until 7 p.m., in the summer, with no school, we had eons together. His mom was pretty lax and would let us do whatever we wanted the whole day. We often spent our days exploring the outer woods of our neighborhood, choosing this direction or that, going as far as we could. Before we knew it, it was time to come back home. The land was wild. Woods and creeks and little waterfalls, copperheads and water moccasins, our biggest fear. We'd come home for Capri Sun refuels covered in mud, and Mike's mom would hose us down. What a <laughs> life. Um, so Sounds as I'm like a book. seriously, so as I'm driving last October, I'm thinking of this house. I just taught a lesson at an upper class family. They had decked their house out with hollow their house out with Halloween decorations. I was thinking how strange it is that we do that and thinking why humans are so connected to the idea of the dead on the highway. Really in an instant, this memory just pops back almost like watching a movie. Mike and I are eight second grade, uh, way back in the woods. So the land has gotten weird, almost marshy. I remember packs of moss floating on slow-moving water. No trails back there. We just walked. We found what we thought to be some kind of island in the marsh, solid land when the rest was muddy and sometimes like a pond. There were sitting, we were sitting on the bank on this island. Used to play games where leaves were planets, and we'd tear holes in them and pretend they were asteroid impacts or bombs gone off. So we're chilling there, kind of doing that kind of shit, when all of a sudden, out of the straight brush, this man pops up. The best way I can describe him is Abraham Lincoln style. He's wearing a tux kind of getup, black and white, but the coattail is divided in two skinny tube shapes that drift down the backs of his knees. He wears a top hat like Abe, not super huge, but big enough to kind of be seen as a silly feel. Odd for us to say the least. 
He's smiling, and his presence is super gentle. He walks straight over to us. The way he came was a dry stretch, not far from the, not from the wetter side of our little island. I remember seeing him purposely step around mud spots. He stopped right in front of us, just looking down. We were sitting, like the posture of sitting on a curb, and said, Don't mind me, boys, just passing along. Then he briskly walked off and back into the woods. <laughs> Okay. I recall casual. us being casual, you know, just someone that looks like Abe Lincoln. So I recall us being scared and not seriously, kind of like, what was he doing here? What was he wearing? That was weird. We didn't take off running or anything, though. So this vivid memory pops back into my head on the highway. I'm like, what the hell? No way. And I call my girlfriend and tell her exactly what I recalled. She responds kind of like I'm telling her a dream, and she's like, oh, weird, crazy. But I'm like, yo, I got to reach out to Mike about this and see if he remembers it. We had lost touch hard, staying close for a while after I moved into midtown Atlanta, but eventually fading away. He has a daughter now. This was 20 years ago. I get home around 10.15 or so. I'm watching some YouTube video on my bed with my cat and browsing Reddit and just general end-of-the-night's phone stuff. I open Instagram. I got a few counts. One band, one for memes, one for work, and one personal. <laughs> when I switch to my love personal... It. I love that, too. When I switch to my personal account, I've got a DM. It's from Mike. This man had DM'd me at 9.49 p.m. Hey, bro, do you remember when we, we were way back in the swamp and that man in the top hat, hat came for us? <laughs> I got chills. I was like, I like, what's going on? crazy thing is that it's been a dramatic year in terms of my perception of the world. I was a hardcore argumentative atheist since my teens, but over the last year and a half, I have just been opening my mind and realizing I have no clue what is going on, just in general. Michael and I talked for an over an hour in detail almost everything we could remember. He had been laying in bed when it came to him, same time as I was driving. We remembered everything the same. He reminded me of exactly the way we'd come from this boy Nick's house. It wasn't a malicious thing for me. It was just a reminder that I am un so unsure of what this world is all about. The end. That's crazy. Mm hmm Like, they, wow. say, they say that if you dream of someone in your dreams, that means they're thinking of you. I think that there's some sort of truth behind that. Yeah. And this kind of reminds me of that type of theory, too, that what are the odds that mm -hmm. this person's thinking of his friend and then his friend is also thinking of him at the same exact time? Mm -hmm. And that they both wanted to, you know, reconnect after, you know, that memory. So, uh, yeah, it really puts it really puts things into perspective of what what really is this universe? Like, what are we what are we living in? Like, there's so many unanswered questions. It's funny that happens with me and my brother sometimes. Like, I'll I'll message him. Um, oh, do you remember, you know, when we were on vacation and we saw like this weird person or we overheard someone say this, or do you remember at grandma's house when we found this weird thing? And he'll almost always say, I was just thinking of that. So weird. So weird how that works. Yeah. Like almost always he'll be like, oh, that was just on my mind or, oh, I was just watching this. And it reminded me of that exact thing. Like it's, it's crazy how stuff like that happens, how that works. It's our simulations all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about these parallel universes that they're finding? Wait, what? Yeah, NASA found a potential parallel universe where time passes in reverse. What? Mm-hmm. So wait, like, you mean time passes in reverse, kind of like a Benjamin Button effect? I think so. Okay, I need to look this article up. When I find this article, I'm going to post it on our private Facebook group. Yes. Because it's 
Spooky Kuyuki. Imagine that there's another parallel. U- there's another one of me out there, probably. Oh, God bless that universe for the both of us. Oh, Lord. Good luck. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right, Lily, what is your next story? Okay. My next story is called Funny Yet Scary. Anyone else had a similar experience? So I was 12 when this happened. I stayed with my grandparents then. It was in October, and I was staying the night. There was no electricity, and I was using an emergency lamp. And now our house was, our house then was mainly made up of wood. We lived in a small, hilly town. So as I was sitting with my book in front, I heard a scratch, like nails scratching against wood or something like that. I ignored it at first, but then the sound only grew louder. I turned around, and I guessed that it came from the wooden cupboard. I presumed it to be made by a mouse because they would be seen occasionally around the house. I got up and banged the cupboard. The sound ceased. I turned around. My book was open on the table. Now, I remember it was a geography book, um, a geography textbook that must have been around 300 pages. Then suddenly it jumped like the book was lifted and it fell on and then it fell on the table. Now, there was no wind and I don't think it could have been any insect. I was surprised. Then it happened again. I screamed. Finally, it jumped two more times before falling on the floor. I ran to my grandmother, who was in the kitchen, and told her what had happened. She, of course, didn't believe me and told me it was the wind or something. Needless to say that I was scared, and I didn't go to my room until the lights came on. Um, has anyone else had a similar experience? I know that it couldn't have been wind because no window was open and it wasn't even windy. Also, I don't think any insect could lift that book like that <laughs> and and do it two more than once. The end. Well, I can say I've never had an experience like that. Can you? Nope. I've never had an experience like that. I've never even, like, read an actual textbook either. <laughs> Has anyone actually read a full textbook? Actually, though. Like, I don't think ever in our curriculum of public schooling did we ever actually read a full textbook. Yeah, right? You never read the whole thing. Do you ever, like, do that thing when they would be like, okay, open to page 40, and you would, like, pick a random page, and it was page 40? I swore I was Jesus' child. Yes! I swore I had a superpower, and I felt amazing and invincible and that no one could stop me. Exactly. That was the only exciting part about school most of the time, was if I opened the book. It truly was. Or people used to, like, take the pages and fold them back in the book and make the NBC logo. Wait, what? Yeah, oh, yes, so yes, people, yes, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, like, was the so good confused. old days, kind of. Uh, the, the somewhat good days. It's what we made of it days. Um, okay. Yes. My next story is... Let's see which one I'm going to do. I'm so indecisive. Okay. I'll do this one. My father won money after following advice from dead grandmother. Some days ago, my, my father had a dream. In this dream, he walks into a bar and sees my grandmother and my great-grandmother. It's his mother and grandmother, sitting on a table just talking. I don't know if they're sitting on a table. I'm assuming he meant sitting at the table, but whatever. As soon as they see him, my grandmother starts yelling, Come here, come here, the ship is about to set sail. So he walks closer to them, and my grandmother tells him a series of numbers. The next day, he tells us about this dream, and that he decided to play those numbers that were told to him in the dream, on the National Lottery Lotto. After a couple days, 
he found out that he won 84 euros. My grandmother died at 84 years old. So, yeah, that was a really weird coincidence. I love that. You know what, guardian angels, spirit guides? What the fuck, all right? Why aren't you coming to me in my dreams and telling me a bunch of numbers for me to win money, all right? Times are fucking tight. I need money, all right? I'm manifesting you to come and give me good money dreams, okay? I'm doing yes, it right money now. Dreams. Money dreams for everybody. Money dreams. Make Shmoney it rain. Dreams. But yeah, short and sweet story that I thought was really weird. And the That's fact that I he won my, 84. If I was a ghost. Oh, I would. Oh, totally. But 84 euros and the grandmother was 84 years old when she died. Like, Yeah, what are the odds of that? That's too much of a coincidence. <sighs> All right, Lily. What's your next story? Okay. This one is called Heard Knocking at 3 a.m. So this was actually moved from Creepy Encounters to Paranormal. Okay. okay. Um, so this isn't that big of a story, but it definitely creeped me out. So a little backstory. My husband James and I have a friend. We'll call him Felipe. Okay, I bet that's actually his name. Um, <laughs> that recently moved to a different state, and he's been doing renovations to his house. My husband has been working for Felipe's company um, for the past two months since he was laid off from his job here at home. Yay, COVID. (laughs) (laughs) A few weeks ago, I went with James while he went to Felipe's for the week to work with, uh, while he went to work. We have a two-year-old and needed to get out of our tiny townhouse. So anyways, when my daughter and I go to visit James, we put her in the bedroom that isn't under renovation, and we sleep in the room that is still being built. It's where the front door used to be. One night, I fell asleep while putting our daughter to bed and woke up around 3 a.m. I went into the bathroom to wash my face and brush my teeth, then got into bed with James and started to fall asleep when I heard five very clear knocks. Mind you, it's 3 a.m., so I opened our door and looked down the hall to see if I could tell if Philippe was awake. Uh, from what I could tell, he wasn't. My husband was dead asleep in the bed next to me, in bed next to me, when I heard it, and it definitely wasn't our daughter. I decided it was one of two things. Either a person had been hanging around the house and saw the bathroom lights on when I was washing my face and then was knocking on one of the doors of the house for some reason, or it was a ghost knocking on what used to be the front door. Haha, I don't know, but it definitely kept me up thinking. What do you think it was? The end. So, Rebecca, what do you think it was? Hmm. I don't know if I think it could be a possible residual haunting. I don't know why Mm -hmm. I feel that way. But I think that it could be residual, like the tapping. Yeah. Um, But it also could be, because maybe there was some symbolism with it being around that time. Something happened, and there's just like a, they constantly have to do that. Or it's some sort of message that this is like the only, this is the only time that they're able to get their message across. So it is intelligent, and -hmm. they're trying to convey something. I like it. What do you think? Um, I agree that I think there there could be some kind of message. I mean, they didn't say that anything like happened like the next morning that this could have been a warning for, but it, it's potentially like maybe it's just a really nice ghost asking permission to come in the house. But what if 
What if it's not a nice spirit and this person allowed them in mentally or like physically and it just oh, yeah, has to they take, open the door. Yeah. Kind of like how like the black eyed children theory works. Like if mm-hmm. you invite them in, then they could like take host of your body or like negative things mm-hmm. are happening to you. Mm-hmm. So maybe that could have happened. Oh, yeah. Huh. Maybe, yeah, maybe, but maybe it's also a sign. Maybe they're the spirit's trying to get closure, and the only portal of time that they're able to knock on the door or whatever it was this time. And, you know, they're just trying to make this person that may be a sensitive aware that they're there and that they need their help. And this is just, mm-hmm. like, the first part of it, since it seems like a relatively new story. So, options. Options. <laughs> it's just so hard with, like, situations like tapping, because it is, it can be a very significant thing to, like, to go on. But there are yeah. also so many explanations behind it. There's so many different theories you can come up with that unless something else follows that, there's nothing really to, like, pinpoint connections and like be able to make more specific theories and hypotheses and stuff yeah it's definitely there's not a lot else to the story so it's hard to figure out what exactly it was will be interesting if they add on to that story like oh i posted uh this story x amount of days ago and since then this has happened Ooh, I hope to see that. Well, yeah. I, I kind of do, and I kind of don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Um, let me... Eh, okay. My next story is... Let's see. We'll do... Okay. My mother's creepy wooden statue. When I was a kid, younger than 12, my mom took me to visit her old friends at their apartment. It was decorated in an odd fashion. Tapestries hung all over the place with old antique furniture and knickknacks lining the walls. We didn't visit there long at all. On our way out the door, my mom pointed out a statue that they had in their living room. It had a beard, eyes that looked straight ahead, and a walking stick that connected to the base of the statue. It was about half my height, hand-carved solid dark wood, and it was sort of tribal-looking. I remember thinking, I really hope they don't offer her to let her have that thing. It's scary. (laughs) And, of course, they ended up giving it to her. I felt uncomfortable sharing the ride back home with the statue. My mom was raving about how cool it was all the way home. I couldn't have been less happy. After we made it back, she placed it down next to the fridge in the kitchen right outside the entryway. That sucked because our kitchen was the center of the house. Anywhere you (laughs) want to go, you usually had to walk through the kitchen. So I told my mom how much I hated the statue and how I really hated the idea of it being in their particular. My mom told me I was being silly, so there it stayed. I didn't get a wink of sleep that night. I couldn't stop thinking about the statue being on the other end of the house, and it terrified me. It made me feel unsafe. I don't know what I found to be so threatening about it, but the next day my grandmother agreed with my feelings. She told my mom the statue made her very uneasy, and it had a negative energy. My mom shook it off because my grandmother was the book-burning type of religious. My mom told her she was overreacting and that she didn't want to get rid of the statue and that she wasn't going to. I felt constant anxiety. I would often refuse to leave my bedroom in the morning after having violent nightmares involving the statue. It was always something along the lines of the statue becoming animate and stabbing me to death with its walking stick. When I walked through the kitchen, I would usually push my back against the wall and edge around the room to avoid getting near the damn statue. In time, even my my mom's friends agreed that it kind of weirded them out too. I hated it. And despite how much it scared people, my mom wouldn't still get rid of it, though she agreed to move it into the living room in a more secluded space. 
One night, I was sitting in the dining room doing my homework, and my mom was in the living room with her friend. I heard whispering that was akin to what you'd hear in a horror movie. Cryptic, overlapping, and coherent whispers. I immediately knew the voices didn't belong to my mom or her friend, so I went into the living room to ask if they had heard anything, and before I could speak, the look on their faces told me everything. My mom told me to come closer to her and said, We heard them too. We all agreed that the sound was unmistakably close to us, and it was clear as day. The source of the sound had come from, you guessed it, around the same spot that the statue <laughs> had been moved to. We all just sort of just stared at the statue for a minute blankly, and I don't remember what else was said after that, but my mom still didn't get rid of the statue. The nightmares continued. My anxiety grew worse and worse. Bad things continually happened in the house. My mom got pregnant sometime around them and had to be hospitalized, so I went to live with my grandma for a bit. I told her about how my mom never got rid of the statue and I never felt safe there. I told her about the nights I felt someone looming over me and the times I locked myself in the bathroom because I heard noises coming from it. After my mom delivered my baby brother, I moved back home. My grandma explained to me that she had burnt the statue long ago and didn't care how my mom felt about it because I didn't deserve to live in fear over a stupid piece of wood. Once the statue was gone, my mom finally stopped being stubborn and agreed weird things had happened. I was finally able to walk through my house again without tiptoeing around the damn thing, but something always fell off about the house after that. The end. Oh, wow. Yeah. A go grandma. You know what? She's always going to protect her grandbaby. She's like, you know what? I burned that fucking thing to the ground. I don't care what your mother says. That thing was spooky goofy. I love that. Yeah, I love I love when you just see grandmas totally defending their grandchildren as if like they're the people that they're defending them from isn't their own flesh and blood son or daughter. Mm-hmm. Like my grandma was always team me. Every time like if my mom yelled at me, my grandma would be like, "Oh, you're being hard on her. Or stop yelling at her." Blah, 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 blah. Oh, absolutely. My my grandma was always team Rebecca, and it was just so funny. Like all the t- like all the time too. Like even if I was probably super wrong, my grandma <laughs> always justified why I did what I did. The best is, like, they're always like, oh, can I get you anything? But, like, I know that if my mom were to say, like, hey, mom, can you get me just, like, a bowl of chips? They'd be like, um, you're a grown adult. Like, you can get it for yourself. You have arms. You have legs that work. Yeah. You can, you can go and get your own stuff. What do I look like here? Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, for freaking sure. And then, like, always the grandmas that give money every time. Even if it's, like, $2, like, here, take it, take it, honey. Or, like, you're like, no, Grandma, no, seriously. And then you find out days later in, like, some random drawer. They just went through your room and put it somewhere. It's, like, snuck it to you. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. There was a video from, like, the beginning of quarantine. It was on TikTok, and it was a grandmother. They were social distancing. She was, like, yelling at the grandma from the car. And you see the grandma, like, trying to reach out from her door and putting the money on this little brick outside of her house. And she's pointing at it like, here for you. And the, and the granddaughter's like, no, grandma, it's fine. And she's like, no, take it, take it. And she, like, closes the door so the, do- so the granddaughter has to take the money off the porch. Oh, I love that. So cute. Even in quarantine, grandmas are the cutest. We talk about grandparents a lot on this podcast, and I think, it's, I think we should. I, I, I think they deserve it. I don't think a lot of grandparents listen to us, but we, we support the shit out of you guys. My grandma listened to one episode. I don't know what episode she listened to, but she goes, it's good, they talk. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, I'm kind of scared of which one she listened to now. <laughs> Shout out to Grandma Jane, the best. Grandma best Jane. Best in the game. Best in, Grandma Jane, best in the game. Woohoo! didn't really rhyme, <laughs> but it sounded good. <laughs> All right, Lily, what's your next story? All right, my next story is called Something Grabbed Me. 
this was this happened a little over a year ago and i still don't know what happened that night so one of my friends and i were having a sleepover it was probably about 10 30 and we were in her basement with all the lights turned out with the exceptions of our phones she was sitting up to the right hand side of me and i was lying on my back we were just making small conversation and such it's been silent for a few minutes when i noticed she's looking off to the right down the hallway all she says is did you see that of course i'm thinking to myself it's nothing and she's trying to scare me because we joke around a lot so i tell her to shut up and that she won't scare me a sheer second after i finish saying that i feel something grab my left arm i could see both of her hands and she was on the other side of me so it wasn't her also this thing had large and callous hands not a teenage girl's <laughs> the grip was fairly strong but i got away quickly screaming and running to the other side of the room she runs over with me and turns the light on we scan the area for anything out of the ordinary but there's nothing when we were upstairs um her parents asked what the dream what the scream was about but we dismissed it as just us messing around after this, we made the decision to sleep in her bedroom and keep the door locked for the rest of the night. If anyone knows what this could have been, please tell me because I want to know. The end. Hmm. I mean, I can't say specifically it was demonic. Yeah. But it definitely seems like there is an, 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 a very intelligent spirit that's there that has a lot of energy that they were able to conjure up. It definitely seems malicious. You think so? Well, it wasn't like stroking her arm. Yeah. It was a grab. It was that feeling she got from being touched of, like, okay, like, there's some force behind it. Yeah, and the other girl saw it, too. So yeah. it's definitely there. Definitely. Definitely either seems like a notice me or, like, a get the fuck out sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. All right. My next story is titled, I had a physically unexplainable interaction while trying to help a stranger. This was in Costa Mesa, California, and it happened just this past November. I was homeless at the time and under immense stress as a result. I have a dozen or so very strange things happen in my life, but this one was truly upsetting. I was on my usual route, which was around the campus of the community college I attend even still. I had only recently quit my job and moved out of a house I was renting a room in. Admittedly, I am something of an antisocial, misanthropic, and generally depressed person that feels the weight of the world seemingly heavier than my peers, but I'm an A student, and I think a troubled life has lent a heavy hand in these detrimental character traits. I am being verbose only because I think or hope that there is a certain genuine genuineness to someone who can see potential red flags in their own recollections, but I would swear to my creator that the following testimony is 100% accurate. This person writes really well. I, yeah, right? Jesus Christ. Okay. I was just thinking That was just the thing. first fucking paragraph, guys, so strap in. So I was walking and approaching a crosswalk. Down the adjacent sidewalk, I see a woman 30 yards away walking up to a grocery bag on the sidewalk 10 feet in front of her. She's already carrying two in her hands, one in each. I go to help her as I have nothing to do, and she seemed old. As I approached her, this was confirmed. At most, she stood five foot, probably two, three inches shorter. She looked to be 60 to 70 years old. Asian and generally unkempt. I asked her if she could use help. She said with a heavy accent, "Sure," and indicates her destination was on the other side of the street where I hadn't planned where I had planned on crossing anyways. I was handed one of her bags and insisted on taking the other, leaving just the one she had been walking up on now at our feet. We start heading to the corner. The bags were heavy enough for me to look inside. It looked to be four mangoes in each bag, but I remember thinking it was easily 10 pounds. 
We get to the crosswalk, and she starts hitting the button super rapidly, as if her fucking feet were on fire. At this <laughs> point, the bags felt as if they doubled in weight. We get, we get the signal, and I make it no more than halfway through the intersections, and the bags feel every bit of 80 to 100 pounds each. I'm six foot one, and I'm in good shape. I could not believe what was happening. I sincerely didn't think I was going to make it. I looked back at her, and she had her both hands supporting her bags, taking half strides. She put on the most disturbing full-teeth smile and said, Too heavy? No. I, I remember the fear of her face made me turn around more than anything. I waited one single step onto the other side of the street and had to drop the bags. I remember, strangest of all, that the plastic handles hadn't been compromised whatsoever, meaning no stretching whatsoever. She was click-clacking in half steps, and at this point, I was tearing up. She dropped her bag by my two. She looked at me, smiled wide again, and said, Too heavy? You stop here or keep going? I said, weeping, I am so sorry. I can't go further. Her smile somehow got even fucking bigger and said, Okay. I began to sprint back across the street to get away from her. I was ashamed and terrified. I looked back to where she was, and now she was hoisting each bag one by one under her chin with both hands, walking it three or four steps, putting it down, then grabbing the next, carrying it three or four steps, and putting it down over and over. She was walking into a place for the mentally disabled called the Fairview Developmental Center that is a community for the mentally disabled. Not that I have anything other than profound pity towards people dealt that hand. Just a particular side note for the story. I walked away weeping as I saw her carry those three bags, now no more than four feet at a time. But I had no desire to help her anymore. I am still fucking bewildered and terrified. I don't know what else to add. I know it sounds fantastic or or phony or whatever, but I'm taking a leap of faith, even posting it here. Thanks for any feedback in advance. The mystery of the heavy bags. Mm Mm-hmm. So... So someone had commented and was like, wow, just reading this makes me want to run away and cry. There was so much we don't know and don't believe in anymore. It may have been shit scary, but you are blessed to be able to see it this way. It would be good for you to come up with some kind of prayer calling for protective mantra in case you were ever faced with another dark or mischievous dead soul. Or mudra, in fact. In Buddhism, there is a, fearless, a fearlessness mudra, hand shape, you can make, which should instantly allow you to withstand with more courage frightening sights, experiences, minds, and states. I'm sure you can search this and find it. Sometimes when I get into dark places, because let's face it, the world of humans is increasingly pretty fucking terrifying, <laughs> I just raise my right hand and breathe steadily, and the fear seems to pass through me. I am certain if you could have done this with her, she may have well have vanished. Ooh. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes if you're if you're met with some really dark spirit that just does not work well with your soul, um, finding a prayer or finding something to believe in, some sort of ritual that you can look up online or through Instagram or whatever um, with the faith that you believe in, um, and doing something to kind of get your mind back right in the same place is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Even just this hand shape of, like, I guess a certain hand signal you do, it opens up your body a certain way to the world, and it's supposed to help you conquer even your craziest of fears. So um, that's, a, that's a tip or some sort of advice for those that may experience something like this, something really uh, negative, and they don't really know where to turn after that. So hmm. just a Interesting. W- weird experience. It's not like he necessarily saw a ghost. 
but there was just something really off about it, and he knew there was something off about it, which is very Definitely intriguing. Definitely paranormal. Mm-hmm. All right, Lily, what's your last story? My last story is called, When I Was a Kid, A Man Who Looked Like My Dead Uncle Tried to Lure Me Away. This happened to me when I was eight, and it is still a memory that makes me feel very uncomfortable when I think about it. A little background. Growing up, I was partially raised by my uncle, who sadly passed away from a heart attack months prior to this encounter or experience. As me and my siblings were young, my aunt and mom decided to take us out to the city center to distract us and get us some toys and just enjoy a day out. It was a sunny day, and there were plenty of people about. While me and my family were waiting for my other uncle to pick us up, I looked down into the main area, which was below where we were waiting. Imagine a road with an old-fashioned iron fence on one side, separating the road from the steps and statue-slash-fountain area below. When I looked down, I was just holding the bars of the fence and just sticking my face through-slash-looking around while we waited. I noticed this man staring at me, not moving in the crowd or anything, just staring directly at me. I remember feeling incredibly uneasy and wary at the sight of him because he looked exactly like, exactly like my uncle who had just died. I knew what death was and I was terrified that he was just stood there staring at me. Something in me knew that this wasn't my uncle. Um, He then proceeded to try and lure me to him using his hand to motion towards me and say quietly, come here. I just shook my head at him, and my gut instinct told me, whatever happens, do not go by him. I remember being so conflicted and afraid, because on one hand, whatever this was looked exactly like my uncle, but on the other hand, it was incredibly sinister, as whatever it was trying to get me to go by him and separate me from my family. My other uncle arrived... uh, When my other uncle arrived, I looked back briefly, and when I looked back, I couldn't see the guy that looked like my uncle who had died, but I felt incredibly shaken, and I stayed quiet for the whole ride home, so much so it worried my mom, but I wasn't able to say anything to her. Part of me believed she wouldn't believe me and instead would tell me off that this strange person was talking to me and trying to get me to go to them. I have had other paranormal experiences in my life, but never one like this. I have no explanation, and I've not been able to come up with what it could have been. When I said he slash it was identical to my dead uncle, I mean identical to the point where I started to question if he had actually died or not, which was absurd. The end. I'm thinking that that was like some sort of doppelganger that was a negative energy. Yep. Trying to lure this person in to maybe take host of them and then maybe become their doppelganger and then try to, like, lure more and more family members into the dark side. Ooh, like a movie. Weird. Uh, you know why? I, I heard a story similar to this. You know, we've talked about doppelganger situations before and stuff as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we've ever discussed where a doppelganger was of someone that had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see in movies, too, where they'll see a loved one that has passed away or they think has passed away and then they see them in real life and like oh my god and the and the person's like the person that's supposed to be dead or whatever is like come here like let me give you a hug mm-hmm. and then the other person's like no like I know this isn't my loved one I feel like if yeah. I were in that situation I would be so convinced because I would want it to be real that I'd go to them and then I'd end up getting killed myself like I wouldn't I wouldn't even listen to any of my intuitions I'd be like oh my 
my god, come here. I just want to hug you. And then I'd play yeah. myself. If I was in that situation, I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth shut. I'd be like, Mom, look, doesn't that look like Uncle whatever? Oh, for sure. For sure. I could picture you being like that. Like, hey, hey, like, because you're so loud. I could be like, over there, <laughs> over there. Look, look. So I see I'm pointing at look him right there. here. I'm pointing directly <laughs> at him. Why are you waving at me? What? What are you I'm saying? Over there, you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. My last story is titled 911 Distressed Female. Back in 2015, I had graduated the police academy and started working as a police officer for my town. The area where I'm located is actually considered frontier. Big Sky is pretty vast, open, and towns are miles apart with little in between them. My specific town, we do both in city limits and out of city limits 911 responses, meaning if there are no sheriff's deputies nearby where the call is happening, then we usually go and handle the call till the deputy arrives only if it's close to our town. Our county is 60 by 50 miles with two towns and a few communities dotted here and there. About a month after my FTO phase, I was put on patrol on my own without a training officer. One night, a few hours into my shift, I was dispatched to a remote area outside of our city limits, roughly about 33 miles in the fucking middle of nowhere in a community apparently a female had called 911, and our neighbor's county 911 center had received it and transferred it to our dispatch. A female caller was apparently distraught, scared, and didn't know where she was. She advised our dispatch that it's dark and her car will not start. She was getting cold, and she also stated that she's not from the area. So me being the rookie, I was assigned that service request since it was deemed as a rescue welfare check. And me and the other officer responded, and it was like a 40-minute response on a mountain back road to locate a silver 2003 Toyota Highlander. Meanwhile, dispatch was able to ping the number she was calling on and was able to get a location. Turns out it wasn't in the community where we had been dispatched to. She was actually 13 miles west of the community in a heavily wooded area somewhere on a logging road. The cell tower in town relayed her call, which registered it as from that community. Now, things seemed out of place when dispatch advised us on her location. We figured it was some hiker or outdoors person since it's that general location. By the time we arrived in that area, it was already around 12 p.m. We started on the dirt road into the backcountry, and where dispatch gave us the possible coordinates of the call origin, dispatch advised us that she's still on the phone with the RP. We let her know there's no vehicle. At that location, we also let her know that we're going to turn on our sirens, it being in the middle of the mountains, when we turned on the siren and had echoed throughout the valley and echoed off the mountains. RP advised dispatch that she can hear the police sirens, but they sound very far away still. We think, okay, she must be further back somewhere. About two miles up was a split in the road. My partner went left and I went right, thinking, fuck, here we go with that Scooby-Doo bullshit. <laughs> Nothing seemed out of place, not was there, nor was there any feelings of danger that I could remember feeling. About four miles in on my side, I radioed my partner. You find anything yet? He advised me. I didn't come across anything so far. He let our dispatch know that he's going to turn on his siren again. When he did, the RP advised our dispatch that it sounded somewhat close, but it's still far away. So I radio our dispatch that I was going to turn mine on. When I did, the RP stated that the other siren was really close that time. I was thinking, oh good, she must be up the road somewhere. I continue on up the road about a mile when dispatch advised me that the RP stated that she can see headlights through the trees and hear you coming up the road. Dispatch also advised that the RP ended the call with them, stating that she's going to meet you next to her vehicle. When I come around the bend, my patrol vehicle's lights fully illuminated the road in front of me. Off to the side of the road was a silver 2000s Highlander. That's when shit got really strange. Keep in mind that it's summertime. In front of me was a silver Highlander, but except 
there was millions upon millions of flies swarming outside of it. I turned my spotlight on and faced it on the back window. That's when I was able to see that inside it was pitch black, not from, not from window tint. Turns out it was black from flies on the inside of the vehicle as well. I was thinking, what the fuck? I exit my vehicle and attempt to make my way to the Toyota, but halfway to the Highlander, the stench of decomposition was too strong, gagging, and almost losing my cookies. I retreat back to my patrol vehicle, and I radio my dispatch. 721, me. Dispatch 721, be advised I had located the vehicle. Also, start a deputy to my location and a supervisor. Negative on any contact with the 101, possibly 1058 dead person inside the vehicle. Dispatch. Did you advise possible 58, 721, uh, 721, me? Yeah, 10-4, ma'am. A bunch of numbers here. Dispatch. (laughs) I copy. County was advised and 2211 and 2216 are en route to your guy's location. Also, 700, chief, and 704, shift sergeant, are also en route to your location. Break. 726, what's your 1020? 726, my partner. I'm just pulling up to 21's location. Be outside my car with 21. Dispatch, I copy with 721 at 0110. My partner showed up. When he got off his vehicle, he was speechless. He asked me if I found the female yet. I told him, I'm pretty sure she's inside inside that vehicle, dude. His response was, I was afraid you were going to say something like that. We finally got our composure together and made our way to the vehicle. Keep in mind, we managed to find some Vicks vapor rub and use an EMS trick that was supposed to combat the stench. It didn't help. We got close to the front driver's side door, and the flies on the outside were thick and they, as they swarmed the outside. After swatting some away, we managed to find the door handle. It was unlocked. We opened the door, and that's when we fucked up and released the most disgusting smell and sight I have ever seen. Mm. As the door swung open, a huge mass of fluids, maggots, and remains of what was left of human hair, skin, and Lord knows whatever else was that slime onto the ground, and the horde of flies that came swarming out from inside the vehicle, it was too much. We retreated again, gagging, puking, the smell. That was strong at that point. You were able to taste it. We were able to confirm that she was a 1058 den person. I managed to say some. Uh, I was managed to find some Lysol spray in the back of my unit. My partner smoked cigarettes, com- combing Lysol spray in a lighter. We made a makeshift flamethrower. We flamed as much of the millions and millions of flies as we could, which worked pretty well at killing them and dispersing them away from the scene. Once we got as much of the flies away, we got a better look inside the vehicle, and we were able to see the license plate on the back of the vehicle and the inside, and the inside of the vehicle, there was cloths and what looked like hiking supplies. She was the only one inside we managed to find some identification for her. She was sitting on the front driver's side, and what was left of her was but a horrendous decomposed body covered in maggots and whatever else made her a home. On the dashboard inside the vehicle was a cell phone. I grabbed it, and it was dead. Still having possession of the phone, I walked back to my patrol vehicle and had a phone charger that was compatible with hers, an Android Galaxy. Sometime later on, it turned on, my partner looking at me with a confused look. He witnessed the, same, he witnessed the entire time from when I grabbed it to when it held a charge and turned on. I advised the dispatch is as she can redial that number she had called us on. She did. The female's phone, which I was holding, began to ring. My partner started to freak out. Fuck that, fuck that shit. She's fucking dead, but she managed to call us. I'm shocked, weirded out. I let our dispatch know that it's ringing, and caller ID is our dispatch number. Meanwhile, we were all still shocked and confused. Supervisors and deputies showed us 
showed up about 20 minutes after. Deputies are coroners, so they pronounced her dead. She was sent to the crime lab. No foul play was suspected, ruling it as a natural cause. We were questioned by the higher-ups and were advised to keep quiet. Also, FYI, they estimated that she had been in that vehicle from anywhere to a month to a month and a half. <gasps> Since that incident, I am no longer I no longer work as an ELEO. I have since switched over to our EMS and now work as a CC paramedic, although I am part of our SWAT team as an LEO slash medic. If you guys enjoyed this odd story, let me know because I have plenty of fucking weird and odd stories from working in this field. Also, forgive me if there are any typers, typos or grammar mistakes. The end. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> this spirit literally led these police officers to her fucking body. That kind of reminds me of the story of the woman who was in the, like, sinkhole at the beach. Yes, yes, yes. Uh Uh-huh. I think that was Ocean City. Like, they they haven't been found yet. And they're just trying to let someone know. The creepy part is when she turns on the phone that's been dead, and they were able to trace, they were able to call back that that was the number that had called originally to let them know that she was lost. Because if she's been dead in there for a month, how who who called? Yeah, weird. All right, guys. So that concludes this episode of Just Ghouly Things, the quarantine spooky story special, episode sixty six. And Lily, do you have anything to wrap up with? Uh, that's why I don't go hiking. <laughs> don't go hiking, guys, or at least don't go hiking with Lily. <laughs> All right. Social media. Follow us on Instagram at. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and at Lily Baldessari. Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Facebook private group. Just Ghouly Things Podcast group. Donate to our Patreon. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share on our show, feel free to email us at JustGhoulyThingsPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, you guys, and we will talk to Boo tomorrow. Goodbye. Goodbye.